On this episode, Pride and Honor, What Can God See, and The Scattering of the People Across the Earth. Hello everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 10, and today we'll be going over lesson 15 and 16 of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study. This will be the last episode of this study. Next episode, will begin the study of Abraham. Now, last week we read in Genesis chapter 9 about Noah getting drunk and how his son, Ham, was not discreet about it. And we talked about discretion. And we also talked about the punishment that he received and the fairness of God. So if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to that. This week, we're going to be talking about an incident that happened with the people and how their pride got the best of them and what God did about that, and then how the people are going to be scattered all across the earth. Chapter 10 is the genealogy of Noah and his sons, and their scattering happened after what happens in chapter 11. So we're going to begin in chapter 11 today of Genesis. Verse 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So they believed that the land of Shinar was in modern-day Iraq. And we see immediately that the people all spoke the same language. And they're all gathered in this area in Iraq, and they're filled with pride. And they decide that they're going to build a tower and that they want to make a great name for themselves. So they want to build the tallest tower so that everyone will look at them and they will see how awesome they are. They also feel like this is going to bind them together and it'll keep them from being scattered over the whole earth. And there's a couple of problems with this. The first thing is, is that God wants them to be scattered over the whole earth. He told Noah and his sons when they got off of the ark in chapter 9, verse 7, God says, As for you, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. 
They're supposed to be filling the earth and moving across it. So God wants them to scatter across the earth. So that's their first problem. The second problem is that it's all about them. They want everyone to see them, think they're great. They want to make a name for themselves instead of making a name for God. Anytime we start thinking that, we know we better watch out because we are always less important than God. Everything that we do should be giving Him honor and glory. And if it's giving honor and glory to us, then it's not being done with the correct intent. Even if the things that we're doing are good, and even if they are good according to God, if we're doing them so that we can be seen, so that the honor and glory goes to us, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Skip down to the end of verse 4. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they already have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they already have their reward. Verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. So you see that when we're doing things to be seen by men, then there's our reward. That's it. But if we do it for the glory of God, then God will reward us. How much better can our reward be from the Lord than from people? Our focus always has to be on Him. Listen to what it says in Matthew five sixteen: Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The whole purpose of other people seeing the good things that we do is to glorify God. So if we are doing good things and they are being seen by others, then they need to be pointing them to God. If they're pointing them to us, then we're wrong. Listen to what John the Baptist says about himself. This is in John 3.30. He says, He must increase, but I must decrease. We need to decrease so that God can increase. We need to make sure that we're doing things for the right reasons. Listen to what it says in Psalm 115.1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. So the glory is not supposed to go to us. It's supposed to go to God. Why is that? Because everything that we do is only because we've been enabled by Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, even in the smallest things. 1 Timothy 1.17 Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Because God alone is wise, that is why honor and glory are to Him. 
Now notice that because the people are prideful and because they are trying to build this tower, God goes down and confuses their language so that they are unable to finish their task. So we have to know that God is able to completely dismantle anything we're doing in pride. Listen to what it says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That tells us that our pride can lead to our destruction. It's better to be humble. Listen to Proverbs 29:23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. We will get honor by being humble in spirit. That's what the Word of God says. Since the people were not being humble, God brought them low. God gave them destruction in what they were doing. By confusing their languages, God made it where there was absolutely no way for them to communicate with one another, and so now they can't complete this project. The name of this city is called Babel, and it just seems funny to me that whenever we don't understand what someone's saying, we say that they're babbling. Or that they're going on and on with useless words. We say they're babbling. And that's what the name of this city was. That's how I remember it. This city goes on to be called the city of Babylon. Which is the city that destroys the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon builds. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about the languages and the people scattering in a moment. But I do want to bring attention to one thing because the wording of this brings about a little bit of question. And I want to make sure that we clarify Notice that in verse 5 of chapter 11, it says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of men had built. And then again in verse 7, he says, Let us go down and confuse their language so that they can't understand each other. This gives a picture that God may not be able to see everything from heaven. Maybe he's just seeing a little bit of what's going on, but he needs to get down here to get a closer look. So let's check in other places of the Bible to see if God indeed can see everything from heaven or if there are things that are hidden from him that he has to actually come down and look before he knows exactly what they look like. Let's read in Psalm 33, 13 through 15. It says, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually and considers all their works. So it says that he looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. And from where he is living, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. It says he considers all of our works from heaven. So that verse, it seems clear that God can see everything from heaven. Let's look at one more spot. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So nothing is hidden from his sight. Everything is naked and open. Everything is laid bare to God. So there isn't any question when you read those two verses about whether God can and does see from heaven every single thing. So these verses in Genesis 11 where it seems like maybe that's what he's saying is like maybe he has to come down in order to see. Well, maybe isn't good enough to discount the definitive that we read in those other verses. 
We should never let just a few instances that seem to speak to the contrary, that are a little bit vague and we're not exactly sure what they say. Those verses can never discount the things that are clear fact in the Bible. So since these verses are so clear that God can see, then it must mean something different. There are many instances where God sends angels to do something for him on this earth. And so the more likely possibility is that God wasn't just going down to see this with his eyes, but he was sending his angels to see to it, to take care of it. This matter needed special attention because it was important and it involved many different people. You'll see this throughout the Bible whenever it involves a lot of people and is a very important matter that God will send his angels to deal with that. And so most likely that's what he's saying. He's just saying, you know, go down there, look at it, and then take care of it because this can't continue to happen. Now, the rest of chapter 11 and chapter 10 talk about the genealogy of Shem, Ham, and Japheth and where they all settled after this scattering. So we know that all of the people had the same language before this time, but then God separated the people into different languages at this moment. And then they scattered to other places on the earth and lived in the groups with the people that they shared a common language with. They did not want to continue to live all in the same area where they couldn't understand each other. So each language separated to its own area where they were around others that spoke the same language. Not only did each people group speak a different language, but also this is where the origin of race and culture groups all came about. Each brother had different physical traits, and then when they were scattered according to their languages, then that trait became dominant to that area. If you want to know more about races and how they began, through a biblical perspective and cultures and languages and all of that, then there's several websites that are more scientific and get into genetics and how that comes about. I can't explain everything, but most theologians agree that this is when races and languages all really came to live in their own small areas. So as opposed to reading Genesis 10 and 11, where the genealogies occur, I'm just going to give a summary and explain where these people were living and where they ended up settling and maybe what else we hear about them throughout the Bible. Now, we'll read the last two verses of Genesis chapter 9. It says, Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and then he died. And then the first verse of chapter 10 says, This is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the sons that were born to them after the flood. And so that's what all of chapter 10 tells about Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their children. Now chapter 11 is just specific to Shem. And the reason for that is because through Shem, the genealogy of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Israelites, David, and Jesus all go through. And so chapter 11 focuses specifically on Shem. And chapter 10 tells us about each son and who their children were. Now I am just going to skim it because what they say is chapter 10 verse 2 tells about Japheth and his sons 
And then it says in verse 5, From these the coastland people of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to his family, and according to his nation. And it'll say that each time. At the end of each child, it'll tell who their children were, and then it'll tell a little bit about where they settled. And then it says according to their families and languages and lands and nations and such things. That's how we know that they settled in different people groups according to their languages and races and cultures and all of that. So first we're going to talk about Japheth. He's discussed in chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. And when they scattered, they moved from Babel and they went north into Turkey and parts of Iran and then west into Europe. And his family settled in the coastlands around the Black and Mediterranean Seas in Turkey, Greece, Italy, Spain, and Portugal. Oftentimes back then, cities were named after the people that founded them. And so the cities of Togomah, Javan, Elisha, Tubal, and Meshach were all mentioned in Isaiah 66 and Ezekiel 27 as trade cities. Tarshish is mentioned as a coastal city for trade in 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. It's also the city that Jonah was trying to run to whenever God told him to go to Nineveh. Now, the languages that came from Japheth are English, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, Greek, and Italian. Those are a few of them. Ezekiel also prophesies against Gomer, Togomah, Magog, Tubal, and Meshach in the end times, beginning in Ezekiel 38. Now, chapter 10, verses 6 through 20 talks about Ham and his children. So, they traveled west into parts of Syria and Jordan, Israel, and the Sinai Peninsula, and then south into the northern parts of Africa and southern Asia like Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Yemen, along the Red and the Mediterranean Seas. This group is responsible for the African languages. Cush is the firstborn son of Ham, and he settled in the land of Ethiopia. Genesis 2.13 says that the Gihon River in the Garden of Eden flowed around the land of Cush. And Genesis 2.11 and 12 says that the Pihon River also was in the Garden of Eden, and it flowed around the entire land of Havala, which is where the gold and bdellium and onyx stone are. And Hivalia is one of Cush's children. Seba and Sheba are also Cush's children, and they're mentioned as places that gave gifts to the king of Solomon. Rama and Dedon are also mentioned in Ezekiel as trade cities, and Dedon is mentioned along with some of the other descendants of Japheth as an enemy of God during the end times. Cush also had Nimrod, whose name means rebel, and he was a mighty hunter, and he established most of the territory of Iraq. Among these cities mentioned were Babel, where the tower that we just talked about, and Nineveh, where Jonah later preaches the repentance. Now, Mizraim is the next son of Ham. His name is also called Egypt. So, he moved into the land of Egypt, which first, you know, befriends the Israelites at the end of Genesis, but then later takes them captive in Exodus and is the reason for the Israelites being held captive and then eventually becoming free and going into the promised land. Mizraim's also responsible for the Philistine people that fight against the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. You'll hear about them. Now, Canaan is the next son of Ham, and he established the land that was later the promised land that Abraham inherited and later belonged to his descendants after they left Egypt. 
When the Israelites escaped from Egypt, they fought and they overtook his descendants, and they took possession of this land. Now, one of his children is Sidon, and he's mentioned several times in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, it says that Jezebel and the widow that provides for Elijah both lived in Sidon. Ezra said that the logs for the rebuilding of the temple came from that place. Isaiah and Ezekiel both mention it as a coastal city. Ezekiel also says that God will be against this city in the last days. Now, Heth is also a child of Canaan, and Heth is the town where Abraham actually buys a small plot of land and buries his family members and is ultimately buried there. Now, in verse 15, it says, Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. Those are the two that we just talked about. But then in verse 16, it says, The Jebusite, Amorite, Gergesite, Hevite, Archite, and Sinite, the Arvidite, Zimorite, and Hamathite. These were the sons of Ham and their families and where they lived. So these people groups that they mentioned in verse 16 and 17, these are all parts of the land of Canaan that the Israelites inherit. And then these places that they're mentioning, it goes as far as this and towards this. That's the boundaries of Canaan. So we'll be talking about that as we get into the promised land a little bit more. Now, the third son that is listed is Put, and his descendants are not listed in Genesis or in 1 Chronicles. We know nothing else about him other than he was a son of Ham. So that brings us to Shem. Shem is where the Semitic people come from. These are the Semites, the ones that come from Shem. They settled in Iraq and Syria, and they traveled south and east into Saudi Arabia, Iran, Kabul, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and then later into China and India. They're associated with the people of Asia, and they're responsible for the Arabic, Hebrew, Aramaic, and other Asian languages such as Chinese. Now in Luke 3, 23-38, it gives the genealogy of Jesus, and it says that Shem is a direct descendant of Jesus. And so, again, that's why we focus on him so much at the end of chapter 11 and not the other brothers. Abraham's also a descendant of Shem, and that is through Shem's son, Eber. So we're just going to list the children leading up to Abraham. It says, Shem had a child named Arphaxed, and he had Salah, and Salah had Eber, and Eber had Peleg, and Peleg had Ru, and Ru had Sarug, and Sarug had Nahor, and Nahor had Terah, and then Terah had three sons named Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram later becomes Abraham. Now notice in chapter 10, verse 25, it says that two sons were born to Eber. One of the sons' names was Peleg, and the other's name was Joktan. But notice when it talks about Peleg, it says, In those days the earth was divided. And so there's two theories as to what this means. It could be talking about the splitting of the continents, or it could be talking about the splitting of the people groups when God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, which is what we just talked about earlier. I lean towards that it's when people were divided at the Tower of Babel because I believe that the continents began to form during the flood when the foundations of the Great Deep were broken forth. 
Once the people were scattered into these different continents, then they continued to drift further apart. Maybe they were broken up during the flood, but they didn't really drift apart until the people scattered at the Tower of Babel. And then the continents just slowly began to drift apart, putting more and more water between them. So Peleg was born whenever this earth was being divided. Now it says that Joktan had several children and one of his children was named Ophir. And he's one of the descendants that's mentioned several places as having gold and precious stones. And then Elam, which is one of Shem's sons, he's mentioned along with the descendants of Cush as someone that the Lord rescues the Israelites from in Isaiah 11. But in Jeremiah 49, it says that the Lord is against Elam. And then another of his sons, Asher, Numbers 24, says that ships afflict Asher along with Eber. And then this son, Aram, Numbers 23 tells us about him, and that is where the original Aramaic language came from. It's in the mountains of the east, which is in present-day Syria. Aram had a son named Uz, and Uz is the city of Damascus, and this is where Job was from. It tells us that Job was from the land of Uz. Now, the family of Aram spread east towards the Persian Gulf and into Afghanistan and then Pakistan. So this just gives us a little bit of history on the people and what happened once their languages were confused and they were scattered now, if you'll notice, before the flood, all the recorded ages of the people were around 900 years. After the flood, the people's lifespans are being continuously reduced. Shem lives to be 602, but his son lives to be 438, and then his son, 434, his son, 464, and then it goes down into the 200s. The next son, Peleg, 239, Ru, 239, Sarug, 230, his son Nahor, only 148 years, and then Terah, Abraham's dad, 205 years, and later we'll find out that Abraham lives to be 175. So the ages are dramatically decreasing as time goes on after the flood. This is because of the change in the atmosphere. Previously, remember, we had this protective canopy that covered the earth, and it made the living conditions much better, and that's why people were able to live longer. After the flood, the people were no longer protected as they were before from the sun's rays and all of the different things that they were before, and so they began living less and less time. So that gives the genealogy of Noah's sons and their children and where everyone scattered after the Tower of Babel and where we got the languages and races and cultures. This concludes the first part of Genesis before we begin talking about the people specifically and the beginning of the Israelite nation. So I hope you've enjoyed this study. Next episode, we'll begin talking about Abraham and his family. There'll be much more self-application once we begin talking about people because we see how they live out their lives and we're able to discuss the things that they do that are pleasing to God and how we can also do those things and then the things that aren't. And we just get into more topics than what we've been able to in this study.
This has been a lot of facts, a lot of information about the beginning of the earth. And hopefully it's been informative to you because we've learned a lot about how the earth was formed, how the people came about, how the languages came about, and just quite a few things about the earth. So I hope that you've enjoyed this. Feel free to email me with any questions or thoughts that you may have. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Make sure that you join in next episode for the beginning of Abraham. Thanks and have a good day.